Hi, I'm Liz Shannon Miller at Lizard on Twitter. And I'm Ben Travers at Ben T. Travers on Twitter. And you're listening to a podcast that we have a name for, finally. Uh, IndieWire's TV podcast shall now forever hence be known as Very Good Television Podcast. Or Very Good TV Podcast, or, depending on your preference. Yes, depending on how much how many syllables you like to say in one, any given la- sentence. Uh, I think as a shout-out to my friend Adam Rauscher, who suggested that after a lot of searching... We went through a lot of names. We really did. It was an endless cycle. Some of you probably saw it online because we posted just about everywhere we could trying to find the best, perfect, most unique name. And that led us to this one, which comes from a very good inspirational place. Yes. And so the challenge, and there's a big clue in this if you have seen our logo for the podcast, uh, but if you can, if you know right away what the reference is that we're making with the name of this humble podcast, we very much encourage you to write in. Uh, should we make him email you? Yeah, sure. Why not? All right. First person email Ben at IndieWire.com uh, when this podcast goes live. We'll receive a special gift from within the IndieWire offices. Oh, the wonders of the IndieWire offices. So many, so many random things. It's not going to be a computer. We can promise you that, but yes. we're not going to say that it's not going to be of equal value as a computer. Yes, we're also not going to say it's not that. Right, so all of these things are really in play. Yes, no no, uh, um, no, no, cost to enter, contest rules may apply, I don't know. All of that below the line gibberish. Yes, uh, we're going to send you something, it's going to be rad, you're going to love it. Uh, but you have to be the first person to email ben at IndieWire.com to get your prize. And uh, so... That being said, let's actually start talking about television, given that's what we're supposed to be doing. If we must. Yes. And, sorry, if, if, by the way, if Ben sounds a little down right now, it's because we're in the thick of March Madness as we record this, and he literally has his phone propped up so we can keep an eye on the score of the Iowa game. They're very. It's very important to me that they win. I just, I, I, I we'll get into this later when yes. we talk about what we're watching and what we want to be watching. But really, just, just know that my heart is is with Iowa, even if my mind and words are are in this podcast. Yes, that's the kind of quality podcasting you can come to expect from very good TV podcast. Very professional. Very good. Yes. So, I mean, we talked about a very serious drama last week with True Detective, so it seemed like a nice change of pace to switch it up and kind of talk about some of the comedy that's been popping up this month on the various networks and streaming services, because it's actually been, like, kind of an interesting explosion of interesting ideas. Yeah, there's been a lot of uh, brave new TV out there on many different platforms, as well as some of the more standard stuff, but it's it's following along with kind of the, the golden age of television that we've been talking about now for what seems like forever, mm-hmm. um, thankfully. And uh, and there's just some really good shows out there that are worth worth getting into even more than what is typically discussed for comedy these days. I mean, Last Man on Earth is such a, was such an interesting choice for Fox, and such a had a really big premiere, if I recall. Yeah, it did very well with the ratings on that first week. And, I mean, what? I don't know if I ever actually asked you what you thought of it. I enjoyed it. I was, I was always wrapped by the premise of it. I admire anything that has some sort of panache to it where they have the balls to go out and say, we're going to put one guy on screen, he's going to carry the show, he has no... It's not going to reside on flashbacks or anything else, and, and, and that got me very excited to see it. And when I watched it, I was 
interested by the first episode. It felt like they moved a little too quickly for me to get from point A to B, where it's point A, he's alone and searching, point B is he actually finds someone. Mm-hmm. I would have liked to see that stretched out a little bit more, but um, they did well with their premise, and I very much like Will Forte in that role. Yeah, I mean, Will Forte is amazing, and he's really doing a nice job carrying it. Uh, I think we're going to talk about the first... We're only going to talk about the first two episodes because Ben hasn't seen episode three. Um, But the arrival of episode... The end of of episode one, as you mentioned, introduces the Kristen Schaal character of Carol, and who is... And then episode two, of course, is them figuring out whether or not they should be in a relationship. (laughs) And it's... I feel like... I feel like my... I, I really enjoyed episode one. In episode two, I found myself... Probably in just like this terribly ironic sense, being like, oh man, you have to make her such a killjoy. Like, why do you have to kill her fun? Which is me killing their fun, which becomes this whole, you know, <laughs> snake eating its own tail of television criticism. I, I, I think I actually probably had the opposite reaction in episode two because I went in knowing that Kristen Shaw was going to show up. I've never been a fan of hers. I think I've heard some of her stand-up comedy, which is very good, but every time she shows up on a TV show, it's always a disappointment to me, and it always relates back to 30 Rock, which is just one of the worst characters I've ever seen on television, ever. Hazel, what's her name? Hazel, what's her name, was one of my most loathed characters on a show filled with everything that I like. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wasn't expecting to for that second episode to be nearly as entertaining just for me personally and yet I kind of I didn't fall in love with her in this episode but I definitely admired what she was doing and I liked her kind of relentlessly positive attitude in the sense of adversity so that I guess switched it up for me where she wasn't being a killjoy like that kept it out of that territory even though what, in part because of what he was doing was just so grotesque to me. It was too yeah. much. Yeah, I mean, okay, to- uh, uh, toilet pool, um, or pool, pool toilet or pool, toilet pool, I forget. I don't remember. But it yes. It's I mean, the same purpose. Yes. I mean, definitely there are lines, and I think, of course, like, it's important that, the, you know, it, you know, it would be a really boring show if Kristen Shaw was just, like, a perfect human being, and they got along perfectly, and... They had many perfect children. Like, that's, of course, not going to be interesting. That's not going to be good television. I think it just, it fell into, like, the nagging wife trope just a little too hard for me. And it pulled out of that from time to time. And I really like, I I did really like him kind of coming around on her to some extent at the end of the second episode. And as uh, I will speak vaguely about the third episode, that back and forth of their relationship does continue there as well but it's still it's really interesting I think my biggest concern for it right now is that and again talking about episode 3 as obliquely as possible um, the twist at the end of episode 3 is one that kind I, I, I definitely saw coming like like with about halfway through the episode I was like okay this is this the, given based on the way things are going right now this at least this episode if it's not this episode the next episode um, somebody is, pro- is probably someone is going. Someone else is going to appear. Yeah, and that's where my that's where my biggest irk with the show's creative hijinks, I guess, comes into play. Because, like I said, I really wanted to see more of him by himself. I think that's the issue. It should always be the next episode for me. And so far, I mean, so far in three episodes, it's been this episode mm-hmm. instead. Um, I would have loved to see that storyline of him driving across the country, crossing off states, extended. 
into including the stuff that he did when he settled down in Arizona. Like, just let him wreak havoc across the country. It may have been tough to do production-wise because it's going to cost a little bit more money, but it would have been more ambitious and it would have been more interesting for me to keep that lone survivor mentality longer Mm -hmm. and then let him devolve into the kind of gross, I've given up suicidal man that he became. Um... So yeah, I'm. I don't know if I'm ready for the next people to show up, but I'm definitely on board with the show to show me what they're going to do with him. Yeah. So we'll see. Um, I mean, it's definitely you know Lord and Miller have done amazing work in the past. It's hard not to get excited for them in the future. Absolutely. There. I'm. I can't say enough about those two directors as probably the biggest fan of Twenty One and Twenty Two Jump Street on the planet, if not Channing Tatum in general. Yes, I mean, they're, they're, everyone in this office is a big fan of those films, but Ben will beat them, probably, <laughs> at some sort of trivia contest. I don't know how you win in, the, in the biggest fan fight. Any challenge you want to bring out, I'll, I'll happily take it on. Uh, so, uh, the other big, one of the other big launches uh, last couple weeks was uh, Kimmy Schmidt, um, the unbeatable, Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, um, which I'd been really excited about for a little while. Ben finally dug into it as well this weekend. Yeah, I'm about four or five episodes into Unbreakable now, and I can safely say that the theme song is my favorite part of the show. <laughs> but it's a great theme song. It is a great theme song, which I, I I find the theme song almost rejuvenating every time it comes on, where, like we've talked about in an yeah. article that you wrote earlier this week, some of the Netflix songs like and intros and themes, they just don't, they just take up so much time. Like you're sitting there binging through them and you're like, oh, I gotta sit through House of Cards again. House of Cards theme song like. is, yeah. House of Cards the, uh, opening theme is one minute and 40, uh, 40, 46 seconds if you want to perhaps skip your dial forward. Yeah, but then I actually gotta pick up the remote or click something on the screen and then I go too far and then it's just a pain in the ass. But <laughs> Unbreakable is great. I really do enjoy that theme song every time it comes on and I feel like it almost refocuses the each episode to what it's trying to say, where it's trying to be about how unstoppable she is, how unbreakable she is, how she's never going to relent. And sometimes I feel like it's straight away from that in these first four or five episodes, and it's kind of got into some weird nitty gritty areas. And sometimes it just it it just hit it right on the head. Well, keep going with it. From my I've seen I, I've I've completed it, and from what. I, I definitely feel like it, four and five kind of hit like wacky sitcom territory a little hard for me, but good lord, uh, episode six has a nice a nice turning point in it, uh, and then episode eleven is where you got to get to, guys. Episode eleven is a where some huge guest stars start showing up, and. Uh, I'll just say I know who plays Reverend Gary Wayne and Ben does not and the fact that I have to sit next to him and not tell him who plays Reverend Gary Wayne kills me a little bit with each passing day. Unless it's going to be Bill Murray, I'm going to be disappointed. Okay. <laughs> because, well, I shouldn't say that. Unless it's Bill Murray or Channing Tatum, I'm going to be disappointed. But okay. We'll see what happens. Okay, well now that I've hyped it up nicely so that the moment's ruined for you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... You, Otherwise, I mean, um, HBO has has Togetherness going right now, and that just wrapped up, correct? Yeah, Togetherness just wrapped its first season, which um, HBO kindly sent out screeners for well in advance, so everybody kind of caught up on that and was prepared to watch it. And then I'm interested to see kind of the general audience reaction to the show. 
And whether you guys watched it week to week, whether you guys saved it and binged it just more recently, I talked to a lot of people who were just waiting for those eight episodes to wrap up, and then they were going to watch them all at mm-hmm. some point after the fact. Um, it seems like a show that's really that 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 lends itself to binge viewing. Like, it doesn't seem. It definitely, I would definitely agree with that, but at the same time, it's almost like the first four episodes and the second four episodes have a very harsh contextual change to them. Really? I mean, they, they, it's light versus dark, and it doesn't go down like a horribly negative path or anything like that. It always keeps things on a positive note, but it's, it's very interesting to see that kind of movement. I guess I, I mean it's just very interesting to see that kind of that kind of evolvement within the show, mm-hmm. um, and I, I I don't know how people will react who watched it week to week if they'll feel it the same way or if they or if you notice it more when you binge. I mean I'm always I'm always a an arguer where if you binge something you're more forgiving of any flaws and I don't think Togetherness has a lot of flaws but if that was one of them I think you might just let it go. Mm-hmm. I mean I think there's I feel like if it's a show that. You know, like there there are shows that feel like hard to binge, that are hard watching, but like something that's kind of almost like a gentle family comedy. Like I I, I admit I have not actually watched Togetherness. That's one you have on me. Um, but it seems like the kind of show where people in the end just genuinely seem to like each other, and that in general seems a good definition for a binge binging show. Yeah, I mean it's I think anything that has. I think anything positive is easier for me to binge. Mm-hmm. Anything darker is harder for me to stick with. Like I can't binge Game of Thrones. I just can't do it. It makes you me can sad. barely watch Game. Of I Thrones. can barely watch Game of Thrones episode to episode. But <laughs> if when asked when I was when I when it was demanded of me to catch up and I had to watch each one back to back, it became nearly unbearable. Like I, it was just too hard. And honestly, I can't binge shows like Mad Men week to week, in part because it's a little bit dark, in part because I just think there's too much to dig into, and Mm -hmm. if I binge it, I'm going to glaze over part of the facts. Um, So I think comedies in general are usually a lot easier to binge, even ones like Togetherness, which incorporate a lot more realistic attitude towards the world. Like, they just, they, even those, they're... 30 minutes long, they've got a lot, they've got enough laughs in there, and enough memorable moments that really help you kind of just want to go next, so. Yeah, I want to, I want to throw out a shout out to uh, Fresh Off the Boat as well, if we're talking about TV comedy, because that show has really, really kept up a good rhythm uh, over, I, I caught up, caught up uh, with the, the most recent episode this morning, and it really, it really highlights for me just they added a new Asian character, and yet again, it's another strongly defined, interesting, unique individual. Like, it's done such a great job of finding, you know, of across the entire spectrum of race and gender, like, finding unique voices and finding unique approaches to creating humans on screen. Absolutely, and it's, it's an admirable effort with just those qualities alone, let alone the fact that it's very funny. Very uh, funny. Obviously, that's a huge help, and it's something that will allow you to forgive other kind of flaws that you may pick up in other shows. And for broadcast TV to have both of those elements right now is huge. It's mm-hmm. it's such a big deal because it's the most widely watched viewing platform still available for television. Right. And it's something that makes other shows that are coming out, other comedies, all the more frustrating, such as The Odd Couple, which is something that I watched the first two episodes of and since have sworn off even though i love matthew perry i love wendell pierce thomas lennon is great but the show itself is just stuck so far in the past that i can't 
it's not I can't keep up with it. Did, how 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 does it? I watched the pilot. How does it make you feel to hear Bunk recite sitcom dialogue? It honestly, it makes me kind of happy. I want like the best elements of The Wire are when Bunk and McNulty are joking around. I mean, when they're just palling the two of them at the bar, and and <laughs> there's too many iconic lines to get into right now. But I was very excited to see him in that in that area right. and. It's great to see him in the area. It's depressing to see him in this specific show. It's it is it feels weird. It feels like watching I don't know. What's the opposite of a dog reciting Shakespeare? <laughs> I have no idea. William Shakespeare barking would be my There you go. <laughs> that's there we go. That's it. But the thing is like he's he's good at it. Like mm-hmm. that actor is a great actor even on like on Treme which is which is an underrated show. I mean he's he's terrific and he's a wonderful man and I really do want him to succeed. I hope he's making a ton of money off of The Odd Couple. Right. But I'd really like to see him on something more relevant, something more up-to-date, like Kimmy Schmidt, like The Last Man on Earth. I mean, even togetherness, something, you know, at his mm-hmm. home on HBO would be great. Yeah. Well, I mean, a sitcom, a sitcom is easy money, and it's 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 an easy job. Like, it, you know, it, comparatively to, you know, coal mining. Sure. Like, Tina Fey actually has a great bit in her book about com- the comparative hardness of what she's done for a living to real jobs like serving in the military and so forth. It's a nice bit of perspective. But, you know, when, you know, no, I can't blame Wendell Pierce for making that bank. No, I I can't blame him either. It's just, it's, as a viewer, you always kind of want, you always want something more. You always want somebody to fit exactly where you like him. And then, you know, he shows up on The Odd Couple and it just gets sad. Yes. I mean, the interesting thing is, uh, the reason we have Jennifer Lawrence as she lives and breathes today is because uh, she spent three years as a teenage, three seasons as a teenager on the Bill Engvall show. I'm not even sure I'm saying that name right. And she, you know, made a decent amount of money for, especially for a young woman. And then having made her nut, so to speak, she then proceeded to do a ton of indie work. And that's essentially when she learned how to act. And then, you know, so she kind of pops up. You know, people for, people don't know about the Bill Engvall show, but that's essentially her origin story. I actually, like, a friend of mine worked on it, apparently, back in the day, and he was like, everyone who worked on that show is very confused, because she was apparently <laughs> not great <laughs> as a sitcom, as a multi-camera sitcom actor. Hmm. But I kind of still love the format, the multi-camera format. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's one of the things that makes it interesting to see who's going to be trying it out and what they implement to make it work in today's world. Because so many viewers these days don't even like the fact that they're doing it in front of a live audience. They don't like the the laugh track, and that throws them off, but there's ways to absolutely make that work. Um, I don't remember if I mentioned this in the last show or not. I don't know why I would, but Jason Kadams is working on... uh, a multi-cam. multi-cam sitcom that's the next thing he wants to do and you can kind of see the very slow progression where he'd go from something like Friday Night Lights to Parenthood to About a Boy which is a sitcom but obviously single cam and now he's going to try to make something that's multi-cam because he just really like enjoys the genre is he doing that for NBC he is doing that for NBC yeah. well it's also because NBC really wants multi-cam right now yeah NBC is definitely trying to rebrand their comedy which leads us back to Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt where they let that go and Netflix picked it up instead yeah very and I believe the exact co- uh, like there was a, a New York Times article that paraphr- that to paraphrase it was like NBC couldn't 
support that show. NBC sucks so bad that we they weren't able to give that show a proper launch. Um, so yeah, um, and that's a good segue into the, our our final segment, which is uh, what we're looking what we the best thing we watched recently and what we're looking forward to most. Uh, ben, would you like to start with what you uh, watched most recently that you most enjoyed? Uh, I'm going to give uh, a shout out to Archer because I don't think it's short of any kind of audience. I think that the FX comedy has a loyal fan base that obviously shows up to Comic-Cons and any live events that they do or any, you know, obviously to every show that they run. But this season has been a very interesting season so far. We're going to hit episode 10 tonight, which would be last week for you guys listening now. Um, and after Archer Vice, which was such a creative endeavor unto itself, they kind of tried to hit the reset button and come back and get back to the office, and they were you know, obviously no longer ISIS. They're obviously now employed by the CIA as contractors. So it's a little bit different, but still operating under the same kind of mandate. And they've still found consistently ways to make it new and refreshing and fun to watch and they're actually trying to make it more serialized now where there's events that get pushed from one episode to the next which are fun to track and fun to see like how they develop um lana and archer's relationship especially now that they have a baby is obviously a big one um ray's development has been fun to watch this season as has cheryl's just kind of as she spins out of control (laughs) but uh but it's just it's an incredibly good show i remember that they tried to push themselves as best comedy series for a long time until Mm. they finally got their animated nod last year because that was the first year they submitted in it i would absolutely have been voting for them every year under the best comedy i mean they're they're head above heels above a lot of the shows that are out there right now and including some of the new comedies that are out now I have to ask: Is this is is the episode is episode ten the episode that is inspired by a ribald tale from Matthew Reese? Not from what I can tell. No. Okay. Because I'm really looking forward to that one. I think it's got to be in the next couple of weeks because I can't imagine it's the season finale. But. Um, and I'm gonna I'm gonna use my slot to uh, call out uh, Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt uh, as we've you maybe have picked up on over the course of the last uh, twenty minutes or so. Uh, we really liked that show, and I especially really got interested. Like the last three episodes, basically become they're, they're their own little story, and it's kind of I think I think it's a great move towards like the Netflix model of comedy, where you know we're they're, they're still figuring it out. They've got drama, they've got an idea about drama, but comedy is still a little fresher for them, and. It kind of, it, it, but it does something similar to I think BoJack, where it kind of tight, like the last ep- few episodes kind of coalesce into one larger story after many serialized or many one-off uh, adventures. That's an interesting concept for me, and it's one of the reasons that I am still very much involved with Kimmy Schmidt. It's not something I would have written off by any means after the first four, four or few episodes, but it may not have been something I was as excited to see the end of if not for BoJack's kind of switcheroo halfway through, because that one was distinctly given to critics without the episode where they changed course, and that shifted my complete perspective of the series. How do you feel that the that the binge viewing, the availability of Kimmy Schmidt all in a row affects the storytelling in the sense that, I mean, you can kind of rely on people to keep going with the show if they keep watching after the first episode or two? Yeah. Well, I think there's that, and they have statistics that prove that people will, if, if people watch one episode, they'll probably watch one or two more, unless they really actively hate it, I guess. Yeah. Um, 
What's interesting is what comes down to a comment that Tina Fey made, which at TCA's, which is they don't have to do the setup at the beginning of the episode anymore because you're not just when you go to Netflix and you open up a show, you're not going to go to like episode six if you ha- if you haven't seen it before. You're going to start with episode one. So that does a couple of things. That makes episode one so important. Like, because there's no, like, you can't play the game of, like, you know, like the sweeps game of if you've never watched Chicago Fire before, <laughs> this is the week to check it out. Uh, you, you kind of are just like, episode one is always going to be your entry point. So it has to be stellar. That said, um, the benefit is that you don't have to constantly be like in episode two and episode three and episode four. Hey, remember when I escaped from that bunker and it was super weird? Um, yes, there was weird sex stuff in the bunker. Yeah. No. Such a such an interesting line. Uh, anyways, uh, but yeah, it adds this interesting element to it. Uh, the fact that you, you reliably know that the person watching the show is watching in sequen- probably sequentially and has probably watched everything up to that point. And in terms of how that affects the binge viewing, I'm not sure, except for the part where people aren't being constantly annoyed by the reminder of what the premise is. It has to, I mean, it has to help. It has to help from a writer's perspective to have that kind of trust. And I guess what, what was most interesting to me about Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt was while I was watching those first four, imagining it being on NBC and imagining how the hell they would have marketed that because they, I just don't think they could have. Even with Tina Fey's name attached and the critical success of 30 Rock, I think that would have been a real hard sell. And it's not like a, a show that, like, you know, NBC just kind of, you know, was, was forced upon NBC. NBC had a deal with Ellie Kemper. NBC went to Tina Fey and Robert Carlock saying, hey, for 30 Rock's wrapping up, can you come up with something for Ellie Kemper? They deliberately came up with the premise for Ellie Kemper, pitched to NBC, NBC greenlit it. Like, this is... NBC knew, in theory, knew exactly what it was doing the whole time. It just didn't manage to stick, have a place to put it. And on the other side of things, it'll be interesting to see how that kind of story and that kind of craftsmanship directly for Kemper plays out in Emmy's season because she's going to be a competitor for that very competitive Best Actress slot and Netflix will obviously be pushing her pretty hard but so far I don't know if there's enough buzz behind her name to really generate the kind of attention that the TV Academy needs to nominate something. I mean you were saying that Jane Krakowski is getting more attention than she is at this point. I would expect, yeah, I would argue that Jane Krakowski is getting more, if only because the TV Academy is very familiar with her because of 30 Rock. Right. Um, So what are you most excited about coming up? Honestly, I'm most excited about shows that are way down the road. I'm most excited to see the return for Mad Men, but I'll save that for another time when we're actually getting close enough to be like justifiably excited to watch Mad Men. You can be excited to watch um, Mad Men anytime. <laughs> well, I'm pretty much excited to watch Mad Men all the time. <laughs> uh, but I will give a very small brief shout out to one of the most important television well, basically a couple of weeks of the year, which is upcoming this week, if you're listening now, NCAA March Madness will start on Thursday. It will take over your office pools, it will take over your friendships, it will take over your family. And those first four days, Thursday through Sunday, are incredibly fun television, even if you just filled out a ballot on a whim because you had a crush on a girl who was who was trying to get everybody's ballots together and get a pool going for fun. I mean, there's just so many ways to get into this, and there's so much drama 
on pretty much about every 20 to 30 minutes on television for the next, I mean, four days. It's okay. crazy. So it's a very fun event to watch, even if you're not a huge sports fan. How are the Shockers doing? That's my favorite That's my favorite team in the NCAA. I don't even know who the Shockers are. I don't know. They just know that they're named, they're named after wheat shocks. There's too many NCAA it's like, teams. They're from like, they, there's they're, like 6,000 NCAA teams. <laughs> but they usually do pretty well. They usually get up there. Hmm. Well, we'll keep an eye out for maybe, them. Maybe, maybe I maybe have the name wrong. I don't know. I clearly, <laughs> clearly, I'm looking forward to not <laughs> March Madness. Actually, the show I'm most excited about checking out is Bloodline. I haven't had a chance. Ben has seen it. I haven't. I'm finally going to make a time to sit down with it uh, because I think we're going to focus on it next week for our podcast for this this humble podcast. And uh, I I was a big Damages fan. Uh, as probably came up last time, why why do we keep talking about it? I don't know, <laughs> but I was a big fan of Damages, and I'm a big fan of that cast, and I'm at least excited because I hear there's ex- exciting. I'm sure exciting stuff is going to happen by the end of episode one, and I'm I, I, I'm a twist girl. I like a good twist. Yeah, you won't be you will not be disappointed in the amount of twists. Uh, the delivery may be frustrating to some people, but it's I'll be very interested to hear your perspective as someone who is a fan of Damages. And I'll be even more interested to hear from people who watch, and I know there's a lot of you out there, simply because Coach Eric Taylor is going to be on the show. Because I mean... What other reason do you really need? Yes. I think we're... Much like NBC, we are slightly overestimating the uh, Friday Night Lights devoted fans. There is no way we're overest. <laughs> There's no way to overestimate. How many, how many o- co- uh, Coach Eric Taylor fans do you think there are out there in the world? Oh, in the world? Um... Well, there's 370 million people in the United States. Probably like two billion. Okay, that's okay. Like, I mean, we're at like what eight billion now, so like one quarter of the planet. Yeah, and okay. I mean, Friday Night Lights, as everybody knows, was a show that kind of took a while for people to catch on with, but sure. it's continuously it's, gaining it's, steam. It's it's spread across uh, India and China, wrapping up those 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 populations. Absolutely, it's, as, as Netflix Netflix expands its territories and they give out their rights to this coveted show. You better believe we're going to get even more demand for this wonderful, wonderful man. The, the cult of coach continues to spread. And there's your connection with Kimmy Schmidt. Ew. Uh, that feels like a good place to end it. Uh, as always, you can follow me on Twitter at Lizlet. Uh, I'm, a, I'm at Ben T. Travers. And you should definitely go to IndieWire.com and read all the stuff we write about television and think about television and, uh, you know, pr- consume about television. Feel. feel how we feel about television yeah our feels feel. which is mostly right now there's going to be a lot on coach taylor and there's going to be a lot on the x-files that's a standard thing yes yes the, the x-files has been we've been we've been lapsing on the x-files stuff. we haven't even talked about the x-files on this show yet and this God. is episode two so very disappointing it's very strange yes we'll fix that soon don't worry um we are now on itunes we weren't on last week but we are now this week it's very exciting for us you can find us on itunes uh, please subscribe there, like us there. You don't like on on iTunes, you rate and you review. So if you think that we are blathering on way too much right now, go to iTunes and say that in the nicest possible way with a five-star review atta- yeah, still, rating attached. Still the five stars, but then we'll, we'll read it if it's five stars. If you do anything yeah. less, we're not going to read it, so just don't. don't and don't forget, the first person to email Ben at IndieWire.com to tell us where we got the name for the podcast from uh, will get a special prize. Can't wait to pick that out. Yes, we have some. 
Like, should it be the beer sign? Should it be the nice art on the wall? I think it's got to be something out of our editor-in-chief's office. I really do. Yes. I, I mean, just to see how long it takes her to notice it's gone. Yes. This is a fun test to see if our editor-in-chief is listening. We look forward to being fired very soon. <laughs> All right. Thank you guys so much for listening, and we will be back next week.